uh, Luther talks about the theology of the cross and the theology of glory. The theology of glory is the theology that says that if you are sick, God will heal you. If you are poor, God will bless you. If you need to improve your spiritual life, you just work harder. It's about self-glory. The theology of the cross, Martin Luther says, is a theology where you come and you follow like Jesus and you die to yourself week after week after week. And that the way up in the Christian life is actually down. And that the way to come to know God more intimately is to recognize that you have to be able to submit yourself to Scripture and to the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom that you do not have on your own. Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Presbyterian Church weekly podcast. We're glad you joined us. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at trinityowasso.com. Also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. Okay, if you have a Bible, please open it with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians is a letter written in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul that teaches us to apply the gospel in every part of our life. In chapters 1 to 4, it talks about unity. You can see this diagram on the front of the bulletin if you have a careful eye. In chapters 5 to 7, it talks about the physical body. In chapters 8 to 10, it talks about food. In chapters 11 to 14, it talks about gathered worship. And in chapter 15, it talks about the resurrection. The motive of our unity, of our care for our body, of what we eat, of the way we have worship, is love. And as we look toward the resurrection, we do so in hope. So in 1 Corinthians, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, it teaches you how to apply the gospel. It talks about relevant issues in your life and in mine that we've often wondered about. It teaches us how to maintain unity in the local church amidst a very divisive era. And it shows you practical examples of how to grow in your Christian life. And let me remind you of what we said a couple of weeks ago. That in verses 10 through 17 of chapter 1, If a Bible, look back up above the passage that we're going to read in just a moment. In chapter 1, Paul said that the cross of Christ must be central to maintain unity in the local church. And in verses 18 down through 2-5, which Pastor Scott preached for us uh, a couple of weeks, Paul says that the gospel's content and the gospel's community are completely contrary to worldly wisdom. Paul's point is not his own eloquence, but he calls us back to the cross. And as Scott taught us, it is not the eloquence of the messenger, but it is the monumental message that's at stake. So, it is by and in the cross that the power of the wisdom of God is revealed. Now, to set you up for verse 6 of chapter 2, Paul has just given us a comparison between wisdom and foolishness. And he says up in verse 18, 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is, you would think he would say wisdom. But Paul says, no, it is the power of God for salvation. And he concludes this first part of the argument to teach us that it is by God's power, not your wisdom to figure it out, not by the way of the world. It is by his power to open your heart to believe. This is why Augustine famously said, I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order that I might understand. And so by the time that we come to verse 6 of chapter 2, this comparison between wisdom and folly are hot off the griddle. And then Paul says these words. Would you please stand with me as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, down through 16. This is the word of the Lord, and it's given to you in love. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In these things, God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. It is not through the mind to understand, but it's through the power of God to believe the good news. Verse 6 begins with a day in Greek. That's a conjunction. It means yet or however or but. Paul says wisdom, folly. Mm. The power of God is how you believe. And then Paul says but... There is a wisdom. There's a profound wisdom. There's a wisdom deeper still, and it's yours. And so Paul takes us into what it means to have wisdom as a Christian. Who gets this wisdom? What kind of wisdom is it? How do we get it and put it to use? That's what Paul says in verses 6 down through 16. Who gets it? What kind of wisdom is it? 
How do we get it? And how do we use it? All right, let's look. The ESV editors translate it yet, or however, or but, you could say. But among the, there it is, number one, the mature. Who gets it? The mature get it. The bulletin this week looks like a Mad Lips. I know, I'm sorry, there's a lot of blanks. So those of you who like to fill out the blanks, then this is your day. The mature get it, verse six. They're also called the spiritual in verse 16. To the teleois, to those who are mature, to those who have reached their aim or their end. And Paul here is indulging the Corinthians a little bit because all of Corinth wanted wisdom and wanted to grow in philosophy and in insight. And so Paul says, we, we give this wisdom to those who have achieved that, to the, those who are finished, to the mature. And he, he doesn't mean by mature that there are rungs in the ladder. He doesn't mean that you're a baby Christian and then you're called a mature Christian. In this context, Paul is saying that anybody, anybody who looks to the cross of Christ for their salvation is mature. He's making a categorical statement about Christians. Later, he calls them, as I mentioned, spiritual. The Corinthians were those who went to great lengths to try to figure out what was the secret philosophy by which man can attain true wisdom, a true true life. And Paul says, you do have a wisdom. But it comes to the people who say, okay, 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 I can't figure this out on my own. I've climbed the highest mountains. I've walked through the fields. I have scaled city walls. In the words of the great theologian, in U2 frontman Bono, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Paul says that we impart wisdom to the mature, those who have welcomed the message of a cross. And this is not a level to achieve as a Christian, but it is the nature of being a Christian. Stay with me. It is not a level to achieve as a Christian, but it is the nature of being a Christian. Maturity is not a level to achieve, but it is a nature to receive freely by grace. The Gnostics of the time believed that there were rungs on the ladder that you grow spiritually closer and closer to God. And Paul says, it's an all or nothing deal, friends. You're given this wisdom, it comes to you by the power of God. And not only is it a wisdom, but it's a particular kind of wisdom. It is mysterious and it is totally contrary to the world. You wanna know more? Let's keep looking. Verses seven and eight. What kind of wisdom is it? Well, it's not a wisdom of this age. I impart you a wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Paul here is referring to the age as a long period of time. It is not, it is not temporary, but this kind of wisdom is eternal. It is not a temporary wisdom, but this kind of wisdom is eternal. It is not a wisdom of the age. It's not temporary, but it is eternal. And secondly, it doesn't come from human sources, but it comes from God. We impart a secret wisdom, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. It's not a wisdom of the world. 
you get that? How many this week saw uh, Francis Haugen's testimony before uh, Congress about, the, uh, about Facebook? Anybody see that? So when Frances Haugen, it was an amazing testimony where she came before the Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation of the Senate, and she reported that Facebook and Instagram, they know that their algorithms can cause greater mental health to those who are struggling with suicide and body image. Yet Facebook is not willing to change the algorithms because it affects their profitability. Her refrain was, they choose profit over pain. And money is a goal that justifies the means. And Facebook is able to make those changes, but when those changes drastically affect their profitability, then their response is that they need to do more research to know exactly how they are to make those changes. And one of the things that Haugen illustrated so clearly for us is that when you set up people to run themselves, they will get into a negative feedback loop well, they, by nature, will begin to spin further and further and further downward. And so, it, can social media be used for good? Of course. But it takes discipline and incredible intentionality in order to use it in a disciplined and helpful way. Why? Because human depravity is far more interesting than human charity. And the wisdom of the world is if it makes us money, then it's justified. And she stood before Congress and she said, no, we've created something that we cannot control and we need wisdom. And they are trying to figure out how do we regulate this incredible tool, which so many of you use so well, in order for us to be able to not just go down this rabbit hole of human depravity. It was wisdom of the world. And Paul says, we are given not a wisdom of the world, but we are given a wisdom from God that allows us as Christians who have focused on the cross to be able to assess objectively, much like Frances Haugen did. And I don't know if she's a believer or not, but she had incredible moral fortitude to stand before Congress and to say, this is a problem. It was just an amazing sign of courage. Well, what else do you know about this wisdom? Well, we know that it doesn't come from human sources, but verse 7, but it comes from God, and that this wisdom is a secret and a hidden wisdom. Why is it secret and hidden? Because the world doesn't get it. Half this town right now is enjoying blueberry pancakes in their pajamas, and you're here. They don't understand it. You believe in a Jewish carpenter who died on a Roman cross, crucified. Where was his political freedom? Where was his gift to humanity? He died tragically. And it has changed your life. You tell me what that is if that's not by the power of God. There's a place in, in uh, Lewis's The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, where Aslan explains to Susan about the magic of the white witch who represents Satan and the world in that story. And, and Aslan says, though the white witch knew deep magic, there was a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness of the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack 
and death itself would start to work backwards. Paul is saying here that there is a wisdom deeper still. And it shows us how death works backwards. Don't you want that kind of wisdom? It is not through the mind to understand, but through the power of God to believe what Jesus has done for you. Some of you have come here for weeks and months, some of you even years, and you've considered the claims of Christ. At some point, you have to believe. Don't be like Facebook and say, well, I think we need to do more research. It is the power of God who opens your heart to believe. And today is the day of salvation for you. There is a wisdom deeper still. Don't you want it? And it, it, is, it is not only a secret and a, wisdom, a, a hidden wisdom, verse 7 and 8 teaches us, but it is decreed by God. In your notes, it says revealed by God, but you can scratch out revealed and say decreed. It was decreed by God. That's what the Bible says, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Pro orizo, to decree beforehand, to determine before. In Acts chapter 4, it says, uh, Peter prays, for truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you appointed, Father, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, Father, and your plan had decreed to take place. What are the decrees of God? We teach our children the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And he is predestined for his glory, whatever comes to pass in your life. But look what comes next. With God's glory, and with the manifestation of his glory and opening your heart to believe, before the ages began, what does the end of verse seven say? Before the ages for God's glory? No, he says it's for our glory. It's for our glory. It's for our good. It's for our joy. He doesn't just give you his salvation and say, well, good luck. He gives you his salvation and he opens up to you this incredible feast of delight and say, you can have communion with me. Jonathan Edwards sorts it out this way. He said, God so glorifies himself toward his creatures in appearing to them and helping them to understand and in communicating himself to their hearts that they rejoice and delight in the manifestations with which he makes of himself. Edwards goes on, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but in its being rejoiced in. So when those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than when they only just see it. And here Paul says, there is a secret wisdom, a hidden wisdom. And it's yours, Christian. And it's yours by the power of God. Delight in it. Because the wisdom of the world didn't get it. None of the rulers of the age, verse 8, understand this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They did it in ignorance. But as it is written, and this is a very loose um, translation of Isaiah 64, 4. What no eye has seen or ear has heard, nor the heart of man, man can even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. I just want you to hear that verse again. 
what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You think about the glories of heaven. Let your brain just go and imagine what it's like in glory. That is but a drop in the ocean of what it's really going to be like. He's invited you into that. And it's a secret and hidden wisdom that you receive by faith, by the power of God at work in your heart. This is not your doing. This is not because you know Reformed theology. This is not because you know the Bible. This is because the power of God is at work in your heart. Would you stop resisting that and believe? And just a minute, come to this table with faith and say, yes, Jesus, I believe it. And I take my doubts and I put them all at the foot of the cross and I will sort them out with you in time, Jesus. But I'm just grateful that you gave your life for a sinner and a wretch like me. And so who gets it? Will the mature get it? What kind of wisdom is it? It's not a wisdom of the world. It's a secret and a hidden wisdom that comes to us from God. And how do we get it? And how do we use it? Well, it says in verse 10 that these things are revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. It is revealed through the Holy Spirit. It is revealed through the Holy Spirit. In the Second World War, some of you know the story of, of how the, the, war, the war turned in, in part because Americans went to no, they went to great lengths to figure out the Enigma code. That was the code that the, that the Axis powers were using against the Allies, and they were cutting off all the shipping channels of the Atlantic in order to, to prevent us from getting supplies overseas and uniting the supply chain. And the German U-boats were just crushing that supply chain. And World War II was not going well for the Allies at all. And Roosevelt could not figure out how to break this code. He had the greatest minds in the CIA and the FBI pool the resources to figure it out. And they could not do it. And it took Winston Churchill sending Alan Turing over to the U.S. to reveal to the Americans how to break that code. And Turing told them of the, of the, of the secret of breaking this code in the midst of Bletchley Park, this mansion in North London where they had years and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked using the bomb machine to try to figure out exactly how to break this code. And he brought the code breaker secret to America. And when the allies began to use this code, they finally figured out how to get those supplies across the Atlantic and the war began to turn because there was something that was revealed to them. They couldn't figure it out. And so for those of you guys who are still struggling with the claims of Jesus, keep struggling with those claims. But notice that it is revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a mystical aspect of that that I cannot explain even as a pastor to you. But the Lord loves you. And he opens your heart to believe it. Do you? Because what are the benefits of it? Well, verse 12 says that the benefits of it are that we get understanding. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, that we might understand them. Remember Augustine, you believe in order to understand. You don't try to understand in order to then believe. 
So we get understanding as one of the benefits. What's another benefit that we get? We get mutual encouragement. Verse 13, we impart this in words, just like God has imparted to us a wisdom to the mature, verse 6. So now we, in response, impart this wisdom to each other. We get mutual encouragement by reminding each other amidst a time when there are thousands of rabbit trails the church could go on, that it is the cross of Christ that is essential to maintain our unity in the local church. Amen? And you look at each other in this room and you say that my spirituality is dependent upon you walking with Jesus because we're a family. This is what a church is called. We've just covenanted together. Joe and Michelle just covenanted with us this morning. And like what Joe does affects me. What I do affects Joe. Like, like we are organic in the way that we work. This is not just a bunch of individualized atoms having quiet times with Jesus. We as a body affect each other and we have to fiercely fight for that and mutually encourage each other. That's why we're so big on you using your gifts. It's not because we need volunteers, though yes we do, but it's because we want you to mutually encourage each other with the gifts that you have because you are all like stained glass windows. There's an aspect of Jesus that my children see because you are using your gifts. And there's an aspect of Jesus that you see when I'm using my gifts. And we become this incredible mosaic that when you back up and look at it, it is of a crucified and risen Savior. It's beautiful. And when the world looks at that, all they see are a bunch of pieces scattered together. But at some point, like those 3D images that you used to see where you had to look through the image in order to see the 3D dimensions pop out. You begin to see the centrality of the cross and it levels the playing field. So it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter your position. The, the, at the foot of the cross, it's level. And we are all forgiven sinners there together. And lastly, this wisdom is not discovered through fallen or natural human discernment. This wisdom is not discovered through fallen slash natural human discernment. The natural person, verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're folly to him. There's that comparison again. He's not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. But we have, verse 16, the mind of Christ. That as we have been implanted with the Holy Spirit to begin to think about the world differently. Do you? In Edinburgh, Scotland, if you um, go to see the grave of John Knox behind St. Giles Cathedral, John Knox is buried. Did you know that? And there's a plaque on the cement where he's buried. It's beautiful. And it's in a parking lot. And if you're not careful, then you're going to miss it because there'll be a car parked on top of John Knox. And oil will be running across his plaque. The great theologian of Scotland who led Scotland in Presbyterianism is buried behind a church in a parking lot. But John Lennon, oh, John Lennon, he's buried in Westminster Abbey and preserved for all to see for all time. 
crazy, the ways of the world and the decisions that we make to put Lennon in Westminster Abbey, but John Knox, we're going to pave him in a parking lot. The world doesn't understand. The world does not understand you. And you have to be okay with that. Because if you are going to continue to judge your character or your success by the home you have or the amount of money you have in your pocketbook, you are going to wear yourself out until you recognize that it is by the power of God that He defines who you are. And through it, you, get, you see everything else. And so this week, let me just challenge you to spend time in prayer and read these 10, past, these 10 verses again. And to read them slowly, three times, every day this week. If you skip a day, it's okay. This is not commanded from the Lord. This is just, read it slowly three times. And do it every day this week. And reflect upon your need for grace. What are the areas in which you are not yet complete? Where are you relying on worldly wisdom to earn for yourself a name? And how would the Holy Spirit want to change your view of yourself to utterly depend upon His work in your life? No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man can imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. All of us face decisions in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, next couple of years. And unless we submit those decisions to the Lord, you will begin to think like a worldly person thinks. Imagine what would happen if you yielded the whole of your life to Him and said, use me, Lord, however you need. You can't even imagine it. Reflect upon your need for grace and then praise God that His Holy Spirit indwells us. And thank God for the areas of, of your life that he has made more and more like him. Listen, this passage shows us that divine wisdom, the same divine wisdom which brought about Christ's saving act on the cross is a wisdom deeper still. It is not through the mind to understand, but it is through the power of God to believe the good news. And this wisdom is in total opposition to the wisdom of the world. And it can be yours. Do you believe that? Come to the Lord's table this morning hungry. So want that wisdom deeper still. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to live in light of the wisdom that you have given to us as your people? You've given us the mind of Christ, so Father, help us to be able to look to you and rely upon your word and to live as though we did indeed have the mind of Christ. Mocked, ridiculed, abandoned, misunderstood, we shall be. But remind us again that what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what you have prepared for those of us who love you. So open our hearts to love you and redirect our loves now your mercy and grace as we come to your table. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.